Yeah. So, Lord Jesus, I just pray for Rach. I pray that the words that she has um, prepared um, this week to share with what it means to be a chosen people under this glorious gospel, I just pray that, um, yeah, there is something communicated through this message that just resonates deeply in our hearts um, as we journey together to explore what what the gospel really means for us now um, on Anglesey in the 21st century. Amen. Right, can you hear me all right? Yeah. Matt's giving me this fancy new lapel thing, so we're going to try it today, because he's like, Rachel, you're such a like, handsy speaker, I feel like you need a bit more freedom. So, I so far have been held back by microphones, so who knows what is going to happen this morning now that I've got both hands to work with. <laughs> Oh, but it's fantastic being with you guys this morning. Um, it's me again. Don't worry, most of the glorious gospel is not going to be me, but we'll just swap around. So John Rippin um, will be unpacking next week the Jewish gospel, which I'm really looking forward to hearing more about, you know, like Israel and the gospel. Like we can focus so much on the New Testament. How does it fit in with the Old Testament? We can't just totally ignore that. But this week, we're focusing on the glorious gospel, a chosen people. And this is like, I loved preparing this. I think because it's really funny what gets me and Alan really passionate in our household. And I, you can definitely tell how it like interacts with our personality. So, if you've ever done Myers-Briggs, in our small group, we're always rabbiting on about Myers-Briggs. Well, I'm a P, so I'm going to think more like this. <laughs> we were looking at our mothering styles this week. Lots of fun. But the thing that gets Alan really excited, and particularly at the moment he's journeying with, is Sabbath. Okay? And he naturally just really loves that. Like, the introvert in him is like, yes, the Sabbath. I connect so much to the Sabbath. And I'm like, that's a real discipline for me, that like, as more of an extrovert, that's much more of a discipline. Whereas a chosen people, community, is what gets me really excited. And when I read scripture, it's like community out, people together, that I really connect with that. Where I know for some people that are more on the introvert, that community is much more of a spiritual discipline. And so we're all really different, but the scripture has stuff that we find easier to connect with and stuff that we have to work a little bit harder at really grappling with and learning as we become disciples of Jesus. So just to introduce myself, um, my name's Rachel, and so I lead um, the team here. So the church plant team is part of Lighthouse Church, married to Al, got a little one called Caleb, who I'm hoping is fast asleep in his pram with Tide somewhere. Um, was a maths teacher, and now just do some maths tutoring on the side work one day a week for church, and then the rest of the time get to be with Caleb and um, be his mum, which is lots of fun. So, last week, we started looking at what is the gospel, the big, big picture of the gospel. And we did lots of crazy things, but basically was looking at the scripture as one big whole story of the gospel, that it's not just the New Testament, that we started off with creation, God's perfect will for people, for creation for the earth, for relationship between God and humanity. And then the fall happened, then redemption, and then the restoration story. And we started just scratching the surface of how each and every one of us connect with the gospel in a different way. And we heard Marie share what the gospel for her was, and, and Ian what the 
gospel for, her, for her, he, her, her, him was. And all in our tables, it was great just hearing what the gospel was for different people because we lean in to different parts. But the big challenge was that it isn't just about a ticket for us to get to heaven. And that if we water down the gospel to that, we've definitely got it wrong. That there is so much more to the gospel. And this morning, what I want to help us grapple with is how has our culture impacted how we see the gospel and how we read the gospel in our Bibles? Because if we don't recognize the culture that we live in, then we don't realize the impact it has on the way we view God, how we read scripture, and how we approach the gospel. If you're into sociology or anything like that, you'll probably be familiar with this, but some of the key characteristics of a British Western culture in 2019 are these three things. So some of the words you might have heard of, I'll just read their definitions. Is this too crackly? Is it annoying? Shall I use the handheld? The handheld? Is it annoying? It's fine? Okay. So, three characteristics. Some people call it the spirit of our age. Okay, the spirit of British culture. Individualistic. So we're more interested in individual people than in society as a whole. Okay, that's one of the, the characteristics of a British culture. Consumerism, that's probably heard that one quite a lot. So it's the protection or promotion of the interests of consumers. So everything is done in order to sell more stuff to the consumers. Everything is marketed towards telling people what they think they need. Okay. And then the third one, which might be a, one that might be new, a hedonistic culture. So engaged in the pursuit of pleasure, sensually self-indulgent. And if you watch advertisement, you can so see that we are in a hedonistic culture. Everything is about making your life easier, giving you time and time to relax and indulge and, you know, great hair, great holidays, the best food, no wonky carrots for you. You deserve the best. And so those are what a lot of people call the spirit of our age. A guy um, called Stephen Miles says of consumerism, it's arguably the religion of the 21st century. It's like consumerism has become the religion of our secular society. The pursuit of more and more stuff is what people build their lives on. Getting promotions so that they can get more money, so that they can get more stuff or go on the holidays that they want to. And we have to be aware of the culture that we are living in because otherwise we don't realize we're in that culture. We're so immersed in it and therefore we take all of this thinking and we apply it to God. We apply it to scripture. We apply it to the gospel. So a kingdom perspective and not a consumer perspective must shape the life of God's people. But it's so much easier said than done. Because we've become so used to our consumer culture that it seems natural and right that we allow it to reshape 
all aspects of our lives. And the church is definitely not exempt from this danger. Are we as Christians allowing consumerism to shape our core values rather than letting a Christian perspective shape our consumption? And what so easily happens is God becomes the author of our satisfaction. He becomes like Santa Claus or a vending machine. What can God do for me? God, this is what I want. This is what I need. And our image of God becomes one of Santa Claus. And the God of mercy becomes a God at our mercy. There's a few pictures I just want to show because the way that we see our society has filtered into every areas of our thinking. I don't know if anyone watched the um, series Dynasties. Okay, so yeah, some of you did. So I think the first episode on Dynasties was about these, the emperor penguins. So these would be an example of a collectivist culture. So examples of collectivist cultures um, Countries like Japan and China, they're all collectivist countries. So they have a whole society mentality. Okay, so like it's like the remains of communism is still there in those societies. So they live in a collectivist cultures. And these are some of the um, like traits of a collectivist culture. So the social rules focus on promoting selflessness. All right. Traits are that they work as a group a lot. Decisions are made on what's best for society. And families and communities have a central role. Those are some of the traits of a collectivist culture. Now, swap that to our culture, US, Germany, a lot of European countries, a lot of the West, basically. We are now very much an individualistic culture. In fact, Britain, they did um, a research a couple of years ago in Europe and the UK was classed as the most individualistic culture in Europe. And so if you saw the lioness, she doesn't travel as part of a pack in dynasties. She's on her own. She has to hunt and look after her kids all on her own. There's no group mentality at all. It's you've got to hunt and protect your own. Yeah, you've got to do what's best for you. And these are some of the traits of individualistic culture. And again, they all sound quite good, don't they? Because we've been... We're so used to this culture, we're like, but those are wonderful things. Uniqueness, autonomy, independence, self-sufficiency. They're all like traits of an individualistic culture. And that's just a bit of a map to show how, um, you know, where some of the countries that have this individualistic culture have, just to kind of give you a global perspective on where we're up to. And so because we're part of this culture, it's impacted all sorts of decision-making. So, like, we are obsessed with selfies, so we love taking pictures of ourselves because we're just self-obsessed. You know, I hate it when we go out to dinner and I see families not engaging in conversation with each other. They're all on an iPad or phone, and it just breaks my heart because it's just all about, it's all about me. We've even lost family interaction. Some of the challenges, isn't it? I don't know if you can see up here, but, you know, our demand for food and the demand for, well, I want meat in every meal, it's my right to have meat in every meal, has put tremendous strain 
on agriculture, which means like we, we can't produce that much meat without having to take shortcuts. And so, you know, the chicken, the what's well, called factory farming. So in order to keep up with the demand of consumerism, you will see, and we see it when they do these awful documentaries, but it's the truth of what's going on in agriculture, the, the pressure that we are putting on animals in order to satisfy our lifestyle. So you'll see all the chickens up there. The way all the, you know, the plastic and everything that we use, again, is trying to make our life more easier because our society is a consumer society, so everything is through the, aimed at the consumer. What does the consumer want? We want ease, we want quick. We don't want to wait for things, so we love plastic and all of that. And yet the impact that that's having on creation, God's environment, is devastating. So that's a whale in Indonesia. You might have seen that on the news a few years ago. Six kilograms of plastic inside the whale they found. And our demand for clothes and everything like that, and I touched on this a bit last week, again, means some of the society, in order for us to get cheap prices for our clothes, it puts a tremendous pressure on sweatshops and all sorts of corruption that comes out for that. So if we want to live effectively as God's people and we want to really understand what the gospel is, then we've got to be able to critically reflect on our culture that we live in. Because God calls us to be salt and light in our societies, to restrain evil and to promote good. But we can only do that if we're aware of the forces and the ideologies that shape our culture and that we start to see where the real battlegrounds are in Western culture today. So I just, um, again, just want to make a bit of a point, really. So one of the things, I, one of the most, I think, misquoted scriptures that we hear a lot, and again, you, we love it. Oh, just one sec. We love this scripture because in our individualistic, hedonistic, self-pleasure, you know, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. It's a great verse. We love that verse. And yet who, if we actually read all of Jeremiah 29, Read Jeremiah 28, the book before then. It gives a bit of a different meaning to that verse. First of all, Jeremiah is talking to a group of people. He's talking to the Israelites. He's also talking to a group of people who are in exile in Babylon. And if you just skip back to chapter 28, there's this prophet that's been like... Don't worry, Israel, you know, God loves you, God's with us, he's not forsaken us. You know, you'll be coming out of exile in like two years. And Jeremiah's like, he's lying, that's a false prophet, he's not heard from God. You're going to be here for donkey's years, so settle in, settle down, put roots on in this, in Babylon, in exile. But God's not forsaken you but it's not going to be shiny and nice for a while, so buckle in. 
So Jeremiah says to the people, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future, but it's not quite going to look the way you want it to look. So just trust me and just dig deep and keep going as a people. And we have to be really careful that we don't just read our Bible through our cultural lens of, oh, that just means God wants to give me everything that I want because he's like Father Christmas. It's the same Romans 8:28. we can just easily twist. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And again, we have to be really careful we don't twist that scripture into God just wants to give me everything that I want because he loves me. We have to be so aware of the culture's ideologies on us. I just want to show you a little video. It's a bit tongue-in-cheek, but it's also a little bit terrifying. So just have a look. a little bit terrifying isn't it it's funny but there's a little bit of like ooh, we do see a little bit of that in ourselves don't we like we i've heard it i i hear it church fan like oh you know i want this kind of worship i want this kind of layout i want this kind of coffee i want this you know if you don't have this kind of kids work you won't see me there like and it just our consumer the ideal individualistic the hedonistic culture just seeps in and seeps in until we very much just look like our culture. But Jesus says to be salt and light. And so, we have to understand that God brings the gospel and sends Jesus, yes, for us each individually, but also as a people group, as human beings, relationship not just between us and God but with God and people and we see that relationship don't we in the Trinity 
So this communication, uh, community and relationships, you know, they're not just nice things, particularly for extroverted people like me, to, you know, how oh, I love community, that like, really, really, I love it. But they are aspects of the glorious nature of God himself, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. So the, the one God of plurality created us to be one people in plurality. Genesis 1, 26, 28 says, doesn't it? Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky. But created in our own image, relationship as people with one another and God. Just um, picking out some New Testament as well. 1 Corinthians 1, 9. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So God is a God of relationship. The Trinity models to us this community, this relationship, that God is a God of community. It's not just a nice thing. But the biggest example, I think, is when we look at the Old Testament and we see the journey of God and his chosen people of Israel. And sometimes we can almost we can almost just ignore Israel and, and, and Jewish people and we can just think, oh but we've got the New Testament now, so like we don't have to bother, we just forget about them now, just ignore them. And um, I just want to draw you to I think is it up there Matt on Acts five? So this was the early church. The Holy Spirit has just come on the early disciples. And so Acts 5, 30 to 32, the God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So notice, it's not just forgiveness for individuals. This was God making a way for repentance and forgiveness of sins for a whole nation, a whole people group. Ezekiel 37, 26 to 27, this is an echo of the covenant made in Leviticus 26. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It's all plural. Notice the language of scripture is all plural. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant. I will establish them and increase their numbers and I'll put my sanctuary among them forever. My dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Then the nations will know that I, the Lord, make Israel holy when my sanctuary is among them forever. We can't get away from the fact that God wants a relationship. It was with Israel as the, the chosen people to start off with and then as of all the nations. And we are at such a danger in our culture of minimalizing the gospel to just me. I will make a covenant of peace with you, Rachel. 
it will be an everlasting covenant. I will establish you and increase your numbers, and I'll put my sanctuary among you forever. My dwelling place will be with you. I will be your God, and you will be my person. And the nations will know that I, the Lord, made Israel holy. My sanctuary is among them forever. See how easily we read scripture through that. That's, that's how we'll automatically read it because of our culture. So we have to work really hard at just ensuring we're reading God's message and covenant for what it is. Yes, all that is true. God is dwelling among us individually. He does love us individually and did die on the cross in order to reconcile himself to each of us individually. But also to us as a people. We are a chosen person and a chosen people. When you look at New Testament, Paul writes almost all of his letters to a group, apart from Timothy, maybe a few others, but almost all of them is to a group of people, churches. Revelations 5 9 to 10. They sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priest to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. So this beautiful image that so no longer is God just a God for Israel, but a God for all nations, all people. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests. There is something we cannot get away from the fact that we are in this together. The whole kingdom is based on us as a chosen people. not just individually. And if you really, I'm really going to hammer it home, we'll look at 1 Peter 2 verses 9 to 10, where Peter really spells it out. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so the Bible is really, really clear. Chosen people. Jesus. When his kingdom arrived, when he died on the cross and defeated death and sin, was about calling the people of God to establish his kingdom. And so I just um, want to unpick just a little bit about some of the traits that I think I see that we need to be really careful of. So I joked about Myers-Briggs before, and I'm like a big fan of Myers-Briggs. But again, if I'm not careful, I turn Myers-Briggs all about me. And I'm like, but Alan, I'm an extrovert, so you need to let me go out and spend time with lots of people all the time to energize and replenish me. Again, we twist this really helpful thing about understanding each other. We can make it all about us and how people need to understand us and our needs. But I think the beauty that I want to learn more and more is, okay, what does Myers-Briggs tell me about Karis and the way that I can love and understand Karis the best that I can? 
it makes me really gracious with her because we'll approach, what was it, organization differently. I see it in the church, don't we? We get annoyed with each other. Oh, she's so last minute. Oh, she, he's too, like, structured and controlling. And yet, if we are committed to learning each other as a people, okay, this is how Karis is. This is how Amy's wired. I want to understand them more and more and more so I can love them better and better and better. Because we're a chosen people, not a just person. Notice all the worship songs. How many of them are written in I? And that's really good. It helps our heart connect to God, doesn't it? When it's I, it's, it's really helpful for us to be able to know that actually God cares about me individually. So I'm not knocking that and suggest we rewrite them all. Because <laughs> I think it's really important for us to know that God comes to us each individually. But we also have to step out and remember and sometimes just sing through those words as we and us. Because we're a chosen people, not just persons. So I just want to um, finish by just uh, inviting us all, really. And I'm going to hand over to Al to unpack this more. But I think there's something about us almost just saying sorry and checking our own hearts for when we have made God and made the gospel into a product for us. That we've been so conditioned to our consumer, hedonistic, individualistic culture that we have twisted the gospel into a product for our own satisfaction. And we've made God a God at our mercy instead of a God of mercy. So, over to you, Al. Okay, can I invite um, worship guys up? Um, got a little bit of time to respond. Just... Yeah, it's, it's a massive challenge, isn't it? I think there's a just reformatting of our mind and a bit of um, self-reflection on actually how do I approach certain things? What does it look like? So um, these guys are going to lead us in some worship. And I just want to encourage you to... Um, you don't necessarily have to stand and sing. You engage in this whatever way you want, whether you want to journal, whether you want to draw... Whether you do want to stand and sing or what, whatever you want to do. If you want to find someone for prayer, if you've been really challenged by something that you know, actually, yeah, I approach this scenario with this and you want to pray with someone, then do that. But let's um, just create a bit of space now to uh, respond um, in our hearts as to actually what parts of the gospel do I take um, too much for me and forget about the wider aspects of people. Thank you. 